In the new movie, Pod Generation, wife Rachel, played by Emilia Clark, and husband Alvy, played by Chiwetel Echifor, want to start a family. Well, hold on, you put us on a wait list to have a baby and an egg. No, it's not an egg. It's, it's an egg. Women are reluctant to have children because it's not made convenient. We want them to pursue their careers and dreams. We can't live in the past. I want to have a child with you. Let's do it, Rachel. Really? Yeah. In the movie's near future, you don't have to have a baby by getting pregnant or using IVF or going through a surrogate. Now, if you're lucky, you can get a reservation at the Womb Center, where you can grow your baby inside a convenient, high-tech, egg-shaped pod. Science Friday producer Dee Peterschmidt, who hosts our new arts podcast, Universe of Art, sat down with the writer and director of the film, Sophie Barth, to talk about the science in the movie and what impact an invention like artificial pregnancy could have on our society. Here's Dee with the interview. I'm here with the film's writer and director, Sophie Barth. Welcome to Science Friday. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of science in this film. There's the artificial pregnancy, obviously. There's conversational AI in the characters' homes and work and therapy sessions. And then there's all the nature and botany side of it. And one of the big running themes through the movie is like pairing artificial pregnancy with artificial intelligence. And I'm just curious why those topics were compelling and why you wanted to pair those together. Well, I think it's a combination of expecting my first child 13 years ago and having a lot of very strange dreams. And a lot of the dreams are actually in the movie uh, right now. And uh, also my love for science fiction. So I'm not sure why I started doing this, but the more I was writing, you know, I was joking that I was researching into the future. I was talking to people in the Silicon Valley, and I was also exploring developments in the 60s. So ELISA, the artificial therapist, is actually based on the 1966 first chatbot, and her name was ELISA. And I played with her online, and you could ask questions. And oh, really? the, yeah, and the conversations were so absurd. And I tried to use that for the modern ELISA. But when I wrote all this, it was way before ChatGPT came into existence. Yeah. <laughs> so the weird thing is when the, we premiered the film at Sundance, it was the same week that ChatGPT was uh, launched. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I was thinking, oh my God, I'm making a documentary. This is not even science fiction anymore. <laughs> uh, but that's the beauty of sci-fi is everything you imagine you research into the future and you try to extrapolate and and things are happening much faster than what I could have imagined. And probably the womb, the artificial womb is going to happen pretty soon. Yeah, I was curious about that too. In the writing prep that you were doing, did you run into any ideas or any research about artificial pregnancy like the, the kind depicted in the film? Oh, yeah, I did a lot of research. <clears throat> There's a whole, you know, documentation about, it's called ectogenesis, when you can create a living form outside of the womb. And there are some scientists in Israel who were able to do that with mice. And there's also this very famous image of this lamp that was grown into a little plastic womb. So I think now we're able to save premature babies much earlier and we're able to do in vitro fecundation. So we just have to figure out the middle months of pregnancies, but it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure that technology is going to be available. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was more about, you know, with every technological advance, we never ask ourselves the question. So we never regulate 
until the technology is there. And then what do we do with it? <laughs> right. Yeah, that specific scenario that the movie explores, it, it you know, it hadn't naturally occurred to me. But after watching, it was like, oh, of course, this is going to be a thing. And sort of like how it affects our human relationship. I thought the film explored that really well. Um, can you describe how these pods work in the movie? So you just take this baby in the pod and then you have an app. And as a good like consumerist society, you can provide all these services to your baby. So you could put a podcast or yes. a song <laughs> or, or have them listen to different languages. So the way it's fed, it's a bit like the Nespresso machines. So this we invented a, a, a funny way to think like the, the food got infused through this little that you put in a receptacle under the egg. So through the app, you can select the flavors you would like your baby to try so then they don't become picky eaters yeah. later on because <laughs> they would have tried broccoli flavor. So it's pretty simple. I think it was very inspired by the world of Apple where mm -hmm. the technology is very desirable because it's so user-friendly and it's so simple. Yeah, on the, on the smartphone side of it, um, one of the parts of the application is you can have your, your fetus do therapy in the pod. <laughs> and one of the characters who works at the womb center is like, it's never too early to start your baby in therapy. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Which, <laughs> was great. yeah, it's basically just an extension of all the consumerism that we're subjecting toddlers and newborn. And there's such a market in America for birth. Mm -hmm. You know, and I felt it would be funny to extend this to seeing the fetus as a possible consumer. And that's just an allegory of like how as human beings, we're just the, the data is us. You know, we're not an end by ourselves. We're just a mean to get to buy more stuff. And uh, so it was a comment about that feeling right. living in America. <laughs> yeah. The movie also touches on who is able to get a spot at the womb center. It's sought after a service and Amelia Clark's character Rachel works uh, pretty high up at her tech influencer marketing company and one of the benefits her company offers is like a, basically a down payment on the pod and there are other people in the movie who don't have the same means or opportunity as Rachel and they're having natural pregnancies even though they'd rather have a pod pregnancy out of the convenience. Uh, can you talk about how you wanted to write about privilege in that way kind of being a part of this process? Yeah, I think it's a big satire about the public versus private uh, education system in the U.S. You know, I, I've been through this, <laughs> raising a child in New York. And then when you visit kindergarten and it starts at $30,000, <laughs> I mean... I think if the pod would come on the market, for sure, at the beginning, it would be for people that can afford it. And it would create a difference between the ones that can afford it and the ones that have to go natural because they don't have any other way. So there would always be like a sort of social class issue around this kind of technology. Something that the film doesn't touch as much on is, is like the role a pod pregnancy could offer to queer parents or parents that can't conceive. Um, can you imagine a way... The movie could have explored that or your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a conscious decision that this couple could have a child the natural way. And they, she makes this decision out of convenience. You know, of course, every technology is useful for a minority of people that really need that service. It's not about exploring how wonderful this technology would be for people that cannot conceive naturally a child. That's a completely different topic. For me, the allegory of the film is that egg could be anything. It, it happens to be an egg with a human being in it. But, you know, 
it's just about our relationship to technology and convenience. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not exploring those themes, which, you know, I know I'm going to get a lot of criticism for that. And you see some couples in the film that are not heterosexual couple, and they're very happy because they have access to the technology. Um, but that was not the purpose of the satire for me, because I don't, there's nothing to make satirical about people that cannot conceive. It's, it's a drama mm -hmm. for for those couples. And it's true that we're lucky that there is uh, in vitro fecundation, surrogacy and other things that can help couples that really want to have children and cannot do it. But that's a complete different theme. No, I really appreciate you answering that. You know, the, the couple in the movie are constantly kind of butting up against the fine print of the womb center that they don't know about, that they're not telling them about. They're only allowed to take the pod home at certain times. And when they want to have a home birth, the company is like, you can't do that. You don't own the pod. We do. Why did you want to work that element into the movie? Uh, well, again, I think it falls into the satire of a capitalism that has become tougher on humanity, I feel. you know, And uh, we see it with artificial intelligence. And no one has elected the few people in the Silicon Valley making very important decisions for the future of humanity. They have so much power on deciding who is going to have a job in the future, who is not going to have a job. And very few people are going to benefit and make billions <laughs> on those decisions. And it just starts to feel very unhinged as a society. And it's going to create a lot of violence and resentment. I mean, we're seeing right now the strike in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And it's completely justified. We need that strike to shed the light on what's happening. Do we want all the content to be generated by artificial intelligence? You know, like artificial intelligence is not going to be able to generate content that has a soul. I mean, it's going to be formulaic content that is derivative from previous content that has been created. What makes human beings so complex and interesting and difficult to grasp is because we have an intellect and a soul and emotions that we cannot quantify, that, that are a mysterious thing. And so that's why I'm interested to explore as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, the movie feels very cynical, but also very hopeful towards artificial pregnancy. And I was curious about your own feelings on, on that. Well, there's hope because no matter what, however the baby comes into the world, it's still a life put in the world and it's still mysterious and, ex and a, a sort of miracle that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that life exists. I mean, I'm not cynical. I think I'm just sometimes a little bit desperate <laughs> and pessimistic about... I'm both. I'm optimistic yeah. and I'm pessimistic at the same time because I think we're constantly pulled in two directions as human beings. We have this incredible propensity, capacity to innovate, to create, and that's a wonderful feature of our brains. But it's also what the Greek philosophers say 2,000 years ago, when you have hubris and you want to fly too high like Icarus, you burn your wings because we cannot control and understand everything. But it, these are questions that I'm I'm wondering, like every time we move ahead with technology, we're losing a part of ourselves for sure. And sometimes it's good because probably artificial intelligence is going to help with finding a cure for cancer, for instance. So that's a good thing. But in the process, we're also going to lose other features of our evolution that we took for granted. At the end, what are we going to lose to get convenience, immediacy, instant gratification and technology doing things for ourselves? Yeah, lots to think about. Um, well, thanks for taking the time to talk about the movie, Sophie. Thanks for the questions. <laughs>
Sophie Barth is the writer and director of the movie Pod Generation. It's out in theaters now. And if you want to watch the trailer, you can head to our website, sciencefriday.com slash pod.